Hey, we've been going through the book of Hebrews at our Bible studies at care groups, and um, I, I thought it would be nice to have a look at Hebrews this morning. So if you have your Bibles, would you go to Hebrews 9, and we're going to read from verse 11 through to verse 22. And just to help us um, before we start reading, the book of Hebrews is written to a group of people who were Hebrews. Um, they were people who grew up in the, tr- in the Jewish tradition, and they were people who um, belonged to the Old Covenant. Um, they enjoyed um, all of those things in the Old Covenant. They went through the sacrificial system. They had a priesthood. Um, they had all of those things that Moses introduced to them. And what's happening in the book of Hebrews is these Jews became followers of Christ. And now, after a, a certain period of time, they've come into the temptation of turning back to the old way. And what the author of Hebrews has done for the first eight chapters is told them, hey, don't turn back because there are huge limitations in the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant wasn't wrong, but it is heavily limited and it can't get you to where you need to be. Christ is better. That's the whole message of the book of Hebrews. And um, that word at the start in verse 11, but, that's very important. Because he's saying the whole old system is not enough, but the whole old system is limited, but. So remember that as we read from verse 11, and we'll read all the way through, through to verse 22. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood, for, ev- or for when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Well, let's pray. Our Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your truth. And Lord, would you help us this, this morning as we consider these very important words, that there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. 
Our Lord, help us to see Christ. Help us to look at the cross and help us to go there. Lord, would you draw us there? We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, I just want to spend about 15 minutes um, talking about these things and mainly focusing on three questions. The first one is, um, why the shedding of blood? Why the shedding of blood? Why must someone die? Now, can't God just forgive? Can't He just let it go? Can't He say, just don't worry about it and let's move on? That's the first question I want to consider. The second one is, why the blood of Jesus Christ? Why not the blood of our next-door neighbor? Why not the blood of bulls and goats and cows and animals? And then the third question is, what has His blood accomplished? So I just wanted to look at those three things um, briefly this morning, and hopefully it's of some help to us. That first one, um, why must there be bloodshed? Why the shedding of blood? Why can't it just be that God looks down and sees the problems that we have with Him, sin, the rebellion against God and His character, and why can't He just let those things go? Um, there are two reasons that I want to bring to your attention this morning. Um, those two reasons is because sin is a lot more serious than we think it is. I don't think we can fully ever understand how terrible sin really is. Sin is, sin is such a terrible thing that God said in the garden with Adam, He said, if you disobey, if you eat from this tree, you will surely die. The consequence was clear. The action was so bad, the crime was so bad that the punishment had to fit that crime and that punishment was death. We find this in the New Testament as well. For the wages of sin is death. So sin is this terrible act, this contradiction of God and His character, this um, rebellious action. And the only proper consequence, the only proper uh, punishment for this is the shedding of blood. I think that's straightforward enough that the, the act is so terrible, so much more serious than we think it is, that the only fitting thing that should happen to someone who sins against God is that their blood should be shed. And what this tells us, friends, is that every single sin ever committed in time and space will not go unpunished. Every single sin that is ever committed by anyone who ever lives will be punished. There will be bloodshed for every single sin. And that bloodshed is the effect of our sin. When we um, consider the Old Testament, the high priest that is mentioned uh, here, Jesus is the high priest. And it's talking about an, um, the fulfillment of the Old Testament. The Old Testament, they had high priests. And what this high priest would do is he was famous for one big thing. Every year, this high priest would offer a sacrifice on this one day called the Day of Atonement. And he was famous for this. And he'd have to offer for himself first, and then he would go and offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people. And when this high priest would go do that, he would do it with blood. There had to be blood. Throughout the whole Old Testament, we see blood through and through, blood over and over. We even see it in the New Testament, blood over and over. Blood is a very important thing to remember as a Christian. And you might think, you know, for a non-Christian who comes in, it might be such a surprise for them to see us talk about blood so much. It's in our music. We talked about Jesus dying in that first song. Um, dying and blood 
they go hand in hand. It's, um, the blood is symbolic of the death. And whenever we see that blood, what we should be reminded of is the effect of our sin. That is the consequence of sin. Now, that's one of the reasons. The second reason is God is pure holiness. God is pure, holy righteousness. He's absolutely pure. He's holy through and through. And so why is it such a bad thing? Why, why must there be the shedding of blood? It's because sin is much more worse than we think it is, and God is much more holy than we think He is. It is a crime of crimes to go towards God and spit on Him and say, I will do things my way. I will contradict your character, and I'll do things that I want to do. That's what sin is. And now here's something very important about those two things. Friends, we must remember to keep our sin very, very big, because it's big. We must remember to keep God's holiness very, very big, because it is big. And what happens when we diminish our sin? What happens when we're tempted to diminish the holiness of God? What we do is we diminish the cross. And when we diminish uh, the holiness of God, what we do is we say, surely God's not that serious about himself. When we diminish sin, what we're saying is, surely what I've done is not that bad and it can just be glossed over. Can't we just forget about it and move on? And what we do when we diminish those two things is we say, did we really need the cross? Was it really necessary that Jesus came? What we do when we diminish those two things, friends, is we say to Jesus, cool that you did that, but it doesn't really do much because my sin isn't that bad and God isn't that holy. So friends, uh, an encouragement this morning to all of us is we must keep our sin big because it's huge, bigger than we realize. Friends, we must keep the holiness of God huge because He's actually huge in His holiness. We must hold those two things um, very highly. And let me just move on quickly to that next point. Why the blood of Jesus? So there must be bloodshed because God is holy and sin requires bloodshed. So all sins must be paid for with bloodshed. We saw that in the Old Testament and we see that at the cross, which we'll talk about shortly. But why the blood of Jesus? Well, friends, the blood of bulls and goats cannot purify our conscience. As you um, see there, if you look at verse 14, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The blood of Christ and the blood of Christ alone can do this. Um, not the blood of bulls and goats, not the blood of your next door neighbor. Um, why, why can't your next door neighbor die for you? Because they have their own sins to pay for. They have a holy God to face and a whole bunch of sins against their name. They cannot pay for yours, let alone themselves. Their, their blood will be shed for themselves. So a friend cannot do it. Um, look at verse 12. He says, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. Friends, Christ goes into this place on his own merit. Christ does not need anyone else to sacrifice their blood for him. Christ is perfect. Christ has perfect obedience and he has no problem of walking into the holy places 
of God. He has no, place, no problem of going in and representing himself. But you and I, friends, we can't represent ourselves. We have our own sins to pay for. And it's only Christ who is the great mediator, as we see there in verse 15. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems, from, uh, redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So it's the blood of Christ. It's the death of Christ. He must be the one who dies. And as I said, friends, every sin will be paid for. Either you will pay for it in eternity or Christ pays for it on the cross. And there's an interesting illustration there of, of uh, will. You know what a will is like. Um, me and Javon set up a will uh, a couple years ago for when we die. But that will does not take effect until we die. So until we die, that will will just sit there and it won't be inaugurated or enacted until we ourselves die. And that's the picture that we have here of a will. A will requires the person who holds the will to die before it can be realized. And so we see there uh, in verse 16, for where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. So why the shedding of blood? Because sin requires it. The holiness of God requires it. And why the blood of Christ? Because when he dies, because of his will, we inherit all of the things that are mentioned here, the great inheritance. When he dies, because he was perfect, he can pay for our sins. Um, no one else can. And so those are the, the first two questions there. Why, why the shedding of blood and why the blood of Christ? And just the third one that I wanted to consider very shortly is what does that blood accomplish? Um, again, at the end of verse 15, so that those who were called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Um, we, we get an inheritance. Uh, what is that inheritance? You know, some of us will immediately think, well, heaven. We get to spend eternity uh, in heaven. And that's true. And there are many blessings that we receive in heaven. But the greatest inheritance that we could ever have, the greatest inheritance that we could ever hope for, is Jesus himself in heaven. And that's exactly what we get. What else does he accomplish? Well, friends, in verse 22 at the end says, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. There is the forgiveness of sins for those who trust themselves to Christ. And at the end of verse 12, it says, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. We are redeemed forever. So those who trust in Christ have their sins forgiven, they are redeemed forever, and they have the enjoyment of having Jesus himself forever and ever. And that's a wonderful place to be. And so friends, this morning, um, the way that I want to plead with you is to say, are you looking at the cross? Are you looking at the blood? You know, it, it seems like such a gory thing to us who live in a sanitized world. Everything's sort of clean cut. Even funerals that we have today are so sanitized. Um, but do you look at the cross? Do you look at the blood of Jesus Christ? Do you look at his death? Do you look there and see the effect of your own sin? Do you look there and see the effect of his uh, blood? his accomplishments? Do you look there and see your inheritance? 
our friends, we must all look to the cross. If you're a believer this morning, you must keep looking to the cross. You must keep looking at the blood. You must keep looking at Jesus Christ. You must keep remembering that He is a crucified Lord. And if you are not a believer this morning, friends, if you have not trusted Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, look to the cross. Look there and see the consequence of your sin. Friends, let your sins be put on Jesus Christ, the the Lamb who was provided for you, the the blood of the Lamb uh, who was sacrificed for you. All sin will be paid for. Trust me, friends, yours will be paid for. Either you will pay for it in eternity or Christ pays for it on the cross. I plead with you this morning, look to the cross. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you so much for your Bible. And Lord, as we um, have that great privilege of opening the Bible and looking at these words, oh Lord, would you help them uh, to, to really make changes in us? Oh Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit uh, would transform us, that your Holy Spirit would win us over to the words that we have, we have read this morning, to the words that we have considered. Oh Lord, would you rescue us from the temptation to diminish our sin? Would you rescue us from the temptation of diminishing the holiness of God? And Lord, would you rescue us as we do those things from making light of the cross, from making the cross seem like it was for nothing? Oh, but Lord, we thank you that our sin uh, in reality is great, And we thank you that we can understand that and thank you that we can know that in some part. Help us to realize that more and more. And Lord, we thank you that God is holy. We thank you that you are an infinitely holy God. uh, One who there is only light, there is no shifting shadows. And as we consider those things, our Lord, how great a trial and how great uh, a battle we have Uh, one that will overwhelm us, one that we cannot win, one that we cannot overcome. For such a big problem as we find there that we are great sinners uh, face-to-face with a holy God, there must be a great solution. And we thank you that there is the ultimate solution found at the cross on Calvary, found with the death and resurrection of Christ. We thank you that you met that huge problem with a perfect solution the cross of Christ. So help us to look there. Help us to run there. Help us to take refuge at the cross. And Lord, would you keep us from looking away? Remind us again, Lord, that it is you who does this from beginning to the end. You were the loving one who sent your own son. You do not reluctantly save sinners. You willingly save sinners. In fact, you started the whole plan of salvation. So help us to remember that you are a loving father who sent your only son to save sinners. Help us in all those ways, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.